now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgeley and Willem Van Denderen for a podcast spun off from our main show where we go through all the highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week and much, much more. Now, Michael, um, game of the week. Uh, why don't you kick us off? I've got uh, one that I think, uh, uh, well, we certainly discussed it in the main show this week, but why don't you get the ball rolling? Absolutely. Well, my game of the week was the uh, A-League Women's clash between Perth Glory and Melbourne City over in Perth at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Sunday night at Macedonia Park, and it was a absolute cracker. Perth Glory had to win the match to keep their finals alive, and uh, they certainly did. The scoreline was 4-3. Uh, it had everything. Uh, Melissa Barbieri was chipped from the halfway line. Uh, we had uh, three absolutely... Uh, spectacular goals that all will be contenders for goal of the year. Uh, it was just one of those games that just rollicked from one end of the pitch to the other. And, uh, and I just thought it was, I couldn't put it down. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Lawrence, Blake, Larry and Hinson. Hannah Larry scored a beautiful goal to uh, to put Perth Glory in front. And uh, Policina, Wilkinson and Grosso were the scorers for Melbourne City. 4-3, uh, um, it went right down to the wire. Congratulations to Perth. Their finals are alive. That was my game of the week, Rob. Yeah, excellent, Edge. Um, I think that was an absolute cracker. I think there was a, a, bit, a bit of dispute, an arm wrestle even between you and, and Willem to, to choose uh, uh, that one, but uh, but you won. I'm going back to that game in, in Naples uh, uh, during the week, the... Um, the England uh, victory over over Italy. It's not every day that a six-decade sporting drought is broken. And uh, when you've got a, a team like England that are uh, on the rise and rise from you know that loss in the 2021 Euro final and then what was probably a, a, a disappointing um, outing in Qatar where they eventually lost to, to France, the, uh, the losing finalists, uh, where they'd expected so much more. Harry Kane obviously uh, uh, skying that penalty, but uh, the irony wasn't lost on on anyone that he eventually did score a penalty to uh, to take Wayne Rooney's uh, title as the most prolific goal scorer in the, in the history of, of English football on the very same night that Gareth Southgate's men uh, beat the Italians uh, uh, at uh, at the uh, Stadio Diego Armando Maradona in in Naples. And you don't get many more forbidding uh, venues than that one to 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 travel to for a game of genuine consequence. Uh, uh, that game for me w- was the game of the week. And and to credit where it's due, I mean, there's there's plenty of critics out there that that don't um, give Harry Kane his his due. And I feel that for a guy that um, that has been as durable as he is, uh, uh, that um, despite the fact that probably well close to half of, of or at least a third of, of even of his pe- of his uh, goals have been penalties, that he's generally been a, a reliable player. He made his England debut eight years ago, 81 caps. He's only 29 years old. So, you know, with the likes of Jude Bellingham and Bakayo Saka, um, I, I'm convinced that at some stage in the next four-year cycle that either the next Euros or the World Cup um, will be going to England. Yeah, I think so. And I think that reputation might take a... Um, it, it's funny how his reputation 
with Tottenham having not won any trophies and his reputation with England having not won any trophies somewhat compounds itself when really they should be seen mm-hmm. as, as two separate things. So we, I think if he leaves Tottenham and picks up a couple of trophies wherever he does go, whether it's Man City or abroad, uh, that will then maybe... I'm not sure. Does, does he feel the pressure, Rob? Is it fair to say that that'll ease the burden on him and, and maybe allow him to go about his England work without that stress as he ticks into 30, 31, 32 without winning a trophy? Yeah, look, I, I listened to him on the BBC after that match, and he, he seemed to be a very relaxed guy. Uh, the um, you know the fact that he you know he's a family man with young kids, he's got a lot of support around him, um, despite the fact that the you know the you know Conte leaving at Spurs, uh, you know it's uh, it's just a uh, merry-go-round the, the coaching job at that joint at the best of times. So I mean, football is what it is. I don't think that he. Um, necessarily feels the pressure. I mean, he probably watches Jack Grealish with a little bit of envy. Uh, I know we've talked about that before when, uh, you know, he did try to get out of the club and get to Manchester City and uh, and by now he would have won a couple of, of at least a couple of trophies, uh, a couple of Premier League titles amongst some other victories in, in League Cups, FA Cups, etc. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like he's a player that, that knows his game, uh, who he is. He's, he's not a superstar, lightning quick, um, exciting striker, but he gets the job done. And what do you want of your striker other than to score goals? You know, he does it. Yep. No, Uh, I'm going to stay with the Euro qualifiers for my game of the week. It was your classic game of two halves between Denmark 2 and Kazakhstan 3. Denmark 2-0 up through Rasmus Hoyland. He'd scored a a hat-trick in their first game against Finland, so he had scored 5 in 2. Now, a little bit of background on Kazakhstan. They switched from the AFC to UEFA ahead of the 2004 Euros, but haven't qualified uh, as yet. Here they were 2-0 down at home in Astana uh, before a penalty out of nowhere. Now, I've had a good look at the replay, Edge. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I can't diagnose where the foul was for the life of me, but it opened the door. Uh, It was put away through Bakhtia Zaynutdinov. And then from there, the second goal, there was no question about that from Azkat Tagbergen. That was a belter. You want to make sure you see that throughout the week. Uh, a scorcher from range. Uh, and then the header past Kasper Schmeichel. Abat Aimbatov, 89th minute. He found time later in the match in the 96th minute to get himself sent off. But just a, uh, a historic, mighty win for Kazakhstan. 3-2 over the Danes. Now, you'd normally have a crack at me about my pronunciations of some of these uh, uh, Middle Eastern and uh, European names. Um, Willem, can you just give me the goal scorers again for Kazakhstan? Have you got it in front of you? Because I've just nailed them. <laughs> Back to uh, Zaynutdinov, Askat Taggy Bergen, and Abat Aimbatov. Three of the most uh, famous goals in Kazakh football history. Oh, mate, look, this uh, it's one of Willem's um, wonderful skill sets. I mean, he learned it off you, he didn't he? he? Should have talked about well. that before no, getting, no, getting his good. pronunciations right. <laughs> he does an outstanding job. All right. Um, I'm not well, sure how far they're going to go. They've got a group with Slovenia, Denmark, obviously, Finland, Northern Ireland, and San Marino. So there could be a couple of wins in there, no, but they, whether they'll make the top two. They'd be a chance yeah, to get into the second spot, wouldn't they? Yeah. A sneaky, um, sneaky chance. You never know. Team of the week, team of the week. It's we're up to that now. I'm I'm choosing Morocco. They beat Brazil two one in a friendly at home. Uh, obviously, Brazil they've got some big uh, renovation work to do with that team. Uh, they went over there with a highly experimental squad. But um, I'm going to try and not to butcher these names. But two of Morocco's uh, real great contributors at uh, the World Cup in Qatar got on the score sheet: Sofiane Boufal and Abdul Hamoud Sabrini. They both got on the score sheet for Morocco, and that's my team of the week. They're still delivering, Rob. The Moroccans mm. are still delivering. 
Yeah, no, that was great to see um, that they're, they're continuing. And I guess that's one of the things that we we all wondered uh, after the World Cup when when they came through and were one of those nations that uh, that really uh, put through the gauntlet down to, to to say we've arrived. Have they really arrived? Was it going to continue on? Well, it, it looks like uh, uh, at least in the short term it is. Now um, you chose a, an A League women's match for your game of the week. I'm going with. Uh, a women's Super League team as my team of the week. And while their men get most of the plaudits, my team of the week is Manchester City women's side. They leapfrogged the defending champions, Emma Hayes, Chelsea, to go second in the competition with a, what was really an impressive win over the Blues on, on Sunday. It was a close to a record home crowd at the Academy Stadium, 5,222. And I really love these boutique stadiums, just purpose uh, chosen for these particular um competitions yes it's fantastic to have the big stadiums for tournaments like the recent euros but there was a real atmosphere coming through it was city's first league win over chelsea since 2017 means they only trail manchester united the leaders on goal difference at the top of the table now chelsea are a point back in third but they've got a game in hand it was their first loss since the opening game of the season and while they're unbeaten in the league since they, uh, they do have a game in hand, so it really sets up a cracking title race with the top four just separated by three points. So City and Manchester level on points at the top. Arsenal and Chelsea, they, funnily enough, even though they're behind, have got the race in their hands because the Gunners face each of the top three contenders as well as the Blues. Uh, so, yeah, Manchester City women's, um, it was a cracking game. Sam Kerr had a couple of uh, shots on goal which were saved, um, and uh, when you can nullify her and, uh, and get the uh, three points, um, you've done job yeah very well said Rob no that that uh that that certainly gets interesting there and the fixture list piles up as well I know Chelsea uh, a goal down as well heading into the second league in the Champions League in Lyon Arsenal are contesting in that competition as well so uh yeah now we're, we're building to uh to a bit of a head in the two women's competitions and uh good to see as always our, uh, our Aussies involved at the top level there uh my team of the week Probably doesn't deserve to be the team of the week, but I'm going to go with them anyway. It is the team atop that Group H in the European qualifiers. Slovenia, I'm going to take it back there. They've beaten Kazakhstan and San Marino. Uh, probably the definition there, Edge, of you can only uh, beat who's put in front of you. But given you've knocked all my pins over, you're going to have to uh, bail me out with a little bit of additional information here on Slovenia, who I only could tell you uh, once had Robert Corrin play for them. He came out and played for the old Melbourne Heart for a little bit. Other than that, uh, I've got nothing. Well, they've, uh, they're, what are the national colours? Green. They always have this sort of uh, mountainous sort of pattern across the front of their strip to Slovenia. Must admit, um, not one of my favourite uh, European teams, and you've thrown me under the bus here, Willem, but I'll give you the team of the week uh, for Slovenia for being top of the group after beating Kazakhstan and, did you say San Marino? I did. Ranked 280 in the world. Yeah, they probably should beat them, Will. <laughs> well, you can only you can only play what's in front of you, Rob. You can. Can I leap in with um, the first nomination for the moment of the week? Sure. Can. Let's move. Let's move right along. Okay. So as we do, like you know, everyone who who, who is on this show who listens uh, to the show, obviously, you know, has their own sort of habits of football. They you know read what they read in terms of newspapers, digital publications, etc. Obviously, The Athletic is one of our most popular. And uh, a story popped up in my inbox that, uh, for obvious personal reasons, as uh, will come to light, uh, uh, was uh, one that uh, there was a real heart-rending story as my moment of the week. So it's not necessarily what happened in the past week. It was just the fact that I read the article that was published in The Athletic and I encourage anyone to read it. So uh, one of the great stories out of the Hollywood tale of Wrexham, 
is Kerry Evans. She is one of the breakout stars from the Welcome to Wrexham series. Um, back in full-time work and making a huge difference as the club's disability liaison officer. So the story is just fantastic. She was confined to a wheelchair at the age of 30 following a, a bleed to the brain. She'd pretty much written herself off after she collapsed and within 24 hours she was told she'd never walk again, paralysed down the right-hand side of the body. Fast forward to today, however, and everything has changed. Um, she uh, uh, volunteered at the club as a result of her husband Kingsley, who'd heard that there was uh, a spot for a volunteer for the newly created disability liaison officer, which she thought was going to be a little bit of a handshaking role. And it pretty much turned into a pseudo full-time role um, as a volunteer for over f five years. So when she heard, uh, as did pretty much everyone else in Wrexham at the same time that uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney were uh, planning to take over, she was sceptical. Um, and uh, and wasn't uh, certain uh, that this was just a, another uh, publicity uh, opportunity for a couple of, of stars, which as we've now come to know and, and love through the series, we've found that uh, there's a lot more to it. So as it turned out, Kerry was one of the first phone calls that the two of them made. They'd heard about her uh, pioneering work at the race course ground, improving access, creating a quiet zone for families with autism and, and wanted to check out if she was willing to take on a full-time role, which uh, she now currently does as, as uh, a um, the club's disability officer in a full-time basis. So as uh, the father of a son, Alexander, who is in a wheelchair for life and gets to see close hand uh, just what it uh, is like uh, when you go to events and stadiums and we're so often um, in our country blessed by if, I always say if you want to uh, see the best in people take my little guy somewhere and you will see the best in people uh, the um, the way that he's welcome into stadiums so uh, so to um, Kerry Evans at Wrexham, well done, and to uh, to Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, what an outstanding job really digging deep and making sure that it, uh, it just wasn't all about uh, uh, their own publicity and success. It was about uh, the people, uh, some of the most uh, challenged people in, in, uh, in this life, Willem. Yeah, beautifully said, Robin. From a, a football perspective, as they continue their build and their growth into uh, a professional club, hopefully up the chain, they're going to be able to call on the experience of Ben Foster, who at 39 uh, has gone and signed with the club. He played uh, 17 games for them on loan in 2005 when he was a Stoke City player. Uh, this is a guy who's been around and done it all. Man United under Ferguson, uh, Watford for a long time, West Brom, bucket loads of Premier League appearances and, uh, and championship appearances, played for England eight times. Uh, so that is going to be more than a helping hand around the uh, the dressing room as they continue to, yeah, hopefully build from where they're at to, to much bigger and better things because we know that this is a, a journey, hopefully. I mean, they'll tell you. They're Hollywood script writers. This is a journey they hope <laughs> is at the start rather than at the end. Yeah, exactly. No, good point. All right, what do you got for us, mate? We'll go with Garan Qual's first international goal in Sydney. We spoke to Vince about this in the main show earlier in the week, but I can't believe this young fellow's getting heat. He's 18 years old. If we go through, uh, and it probably goes speaks more to the sort of vociferous, angry Scottish football culture as opposed to Australian football culture, but 18 games at the Mariners, the bulk off the bench edge for six goals and seven games off the bench for Hearts and four games for the Australian senior national team, and now a goal. This is a guy who, yeah, for the first time, as Vince said, is probably meeting a little bit of resistance, uh, but it is all ahead of him. He could have another two or three years not really playing much consistent senior football, and he could still go on and reach the heights that we all think he could and we all hope he would. So we know the Socceroos, uh, they like to promote themselves as a, as a tight-knit family, and he comes into camp and he's got strong role models in terms of players from 
African migrant backgrounds in Mabil and Deng. Uh, and now they're welcoming Nestor Irunkunda into into that mix as well. So for him to uh, get a goal, which is probably offside, but in an international friendly, play on. Uh, hopefully we'll just lift his confidence and, and send him back to Scotland with, uh, with a little bit of a, a spring in his step edge. Yeah, club fans are different to national team fans. I think the club fans who go week in, week out, they want to see an impact from their recruits. You know, he's learning the caper still, isn't he? And uh, we need to be patient with him. He's got a huge, he's got huge upside, but he wouldn't be the first person if he does uh, not make it. He wouldn't be the first person who's had enormous potential not to uh, fulfil that. So I think um, uh, all Australian football people, we need to be patient with him. We need to be patient with Irukunda. Uh, we even need to be patient with some of the other young players, even Riley McGree, despite the fact he started in four of our World Cup games in Qatar. Um, yeah, we just need to continue to hold our nerve and um, develop these kids. And uh, hopefully at Hearts, he, uh, he starts to get a bit more time. And uh, I think we all know the quality of uh, Garang. If he gets a couple of goals under his belt, he'll, he'll get some uh, confidence and uh, he should go well. But we, we should just also remember how young he is. Um, grew up in Shepparton. You know, uh, pretty humble beginnings in his life. And now he's uh, over in the cold weather of Scotland making his uh, way in life. And, you know, that, that will be some transition for him. And he, like you said, Willem, he'll have lots of people uh, in it from a welfare perspective uh, in his corner to help him through. But, uh, yeah, let's give him a bit of time. Uh, I, I think he's going to make it. I really do. Oh, it's life, isn't it? I mean, we've all got to go through the ups and downs of life. It's a roller coaster. You don't uh, always uh, uh, spend your, your time on on the upslope, do you? You've got to learn, and and sometimes uh, I think the you know the age old adage of uh, of uh, of having to, to do the hard yards, the the hard work is um, is what really forges the steel. Not every sportsman or, or, or person who's had a career in sport, you know, uh, sparkles from the, the early bright lights. Uh, uh, yeah, let's watch this space. I mean, you know, as as Willem said, you know, he's got a lot of good role models around him. With uh, uh, well, specifically the 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 um, the boys from the African uh, diaspora who who can um, help encourage him along the way. So uh, he, you know, he's got a, a parent club who. Obviously, saw a lot of talent in in Newcastle. So, butts yeah, isn't the right place for him. You wouldn't think that they're just going to throw him on the scrap heap in in the short term. So, uh, yeah, it feels like it's very early stages for that story for Garen Qual. All right. Well, why don't we move along to hot topic? Um, well, since I've got the mic, I'm going to carry on. Um, the um, another article that um, that I, I read uh, this time in in the Herald Sun. Um, it um, it was a, a, under a, a number of bylines, but it was uh, effectively quoting uh, uh, Graham Arnold on A League expansion um, and a move to at least thirty games a season. And uh, Willem, you mentioned, or at Edge, I think you mentioned Riley McGree. You both did, uh, um, and the incredible form he's been in with Middlesbrough in the Championship as they you know, track towards at least an opportunity to to get promoted. And Arnie made the point that uh, the uh, the reason, in his view, for the form line that he's in is the just the increase in the amount of competitive games um we all know the a-league has 26 rounds and with the expansion plans which we've been discussing uh, it sort of makes sense that we'll probably see um, upwards of 30 games but he's just insisting that we have to play more games uh, and I, I liked uh, one of the analogies that he had uh, 
He said, if you're a golfer and you want to get a low handicap, what do you do? You play more. And it's the same with football. So um, I, I'm just interested in, in your opinion, Ed, just to the likelihood of this happening in the short term um, when we, we get the expansion clubs come into the competition. And, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, we, we you know, we've got uh, 11 teams where they're talking about 13 teams. So, I mean, how does that work? You, you've got to almost add a third round in, which we did and have had in, in seasons past when there were fewer clubs. But how do you do this and, and maintain parity and equity in, in a competition without uh, going too far uh, in, a, in a competition that still battles with some of the clubs, which we've often discussed, uh, um, to, who, um, who don't have, um, have uh, you know, big crowds? Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with a draw. I think the objective is to get to play each other twice home and away in the regular season um, and uh, protect uh, the clubs that play in Champions League. But uh, you're right, Rob, uh, there's a few questions. And I mentioned 11, of course, 12 clubs in the competition. So I'll just correct myself there. Yeah, yeah. So look, you know, um, does it mean less games for broadcast? Yeah, there's a lot of questions to answer uh, around the integrity of the A-League, uh, let alone the pyramid and promotion relegation, which is a much bigger issue for years to come. But uh, just the, how they deal with the draw and the structure of the draw, I mean, um, it, it, it escapes uh, scrutiny that, uh, you know, that the, the draw is rigged, uh, you know, for that third round. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What do you think will happen, Willem? Yeah, well, Arnie's been banging on about this for years, and James Johnson's been speaking about it for a long, for a couple of years as, as well. When he's been, uh, he's been at Football Australia. What is it that, that's stopping us getting it there? Is it is it stadia? Is it that now into this time of year, our, our winter codes in Australia kick in and it gets a little bit tight? I mean, you look at Amy Park, uh, Victory City Rebels Storm. That's just one example. So if you want to extend that, uh, if you want to extend that games wise, uh, it, it gets tough from a fixture perspective. Um, as much as it as much as it is not, it's fanciful, and and we would like to see more games. I probably side with Edge, Robin, that the integrity uh, of the competition in, has to come first. We need to get to fourteen teams, and then you play everyone home and away once, which gets you to to twenty six, and then you have your finals, your Australia Cup, uh, and and, and whatever else. And champions like oh, that's not gonna that's only gonna raise one or two clubs each each year. That's not gonna sort of lift. Well, with the, the matches on it, eight matches, you know, so it's not, it's not yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, I think that's a more pressing issue than the amount of games. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a nuanced sporting country, I think. Mm. Well, it is. And, and, and look, when the national men's coach brings it up as a topic, it um, demands um, the community to have the conversation and at least uh, start to flesh the idea out. So, at least, um, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. All right, uh, boys, who's going next? I'll go next. You missed my moment of the week. I just want to mention my moment of the week, Rob, was Latan Ibrahimovic at the age of 41, uh, playing the last 18 minutes of a match against uh, the match for Sweden. Um, He scored 62 goals for Sweden, so I just wonder whether he will add to it. He's only played 144 minutes with Milan this year, so Ibrahimovic, if Sweden make the Euros and he happens to play, he will be the oldest player to play at the Euros, and definitely, obviously, the oldest player to score should that happen. So Ibrahimovic coming on for Sweden, that was my moment of the week. But my hot topic is who will make the A-League Women's final series this year? We've got an absolute blockbuster to finish the season of the final round. Um, uh, Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory, Canberra United and Perth Glory are playing for two spots. Um, Victory, they head across the ditch to pace bottom team Wellington. Not an easy 
tasks, even though Wellington's bottom, their home form has been pretty good. The equation of victory is easy. Win, and they qualify for the finals. Uh, on um, Perth, they've got two matches to play, a game in hand. They've got to play against Sydney in Sydney on Wednesday night and then travel to Brisbane on Saturday. So they need to win both of those matches to go through Canberra and... Uh, and it's just on that if they do, if Perth can knock off Sydney because Sydney have got the, the running to take the premiership, that nice. gives Western United after that 3-0 uh, loss to Canberra on the weekend one more chance at taking the premiership in their debut season. So so um, they'll be obviously hoping that happens. And obviously the last game is going to be, it's all going to come down to this one, Canberra and Melbourne City. It's a blockbuster final match of the regular season on Sunday. Canberra's in red-hot form. City's really starting to slide a little bit. So Canberra will back themselves in to win that one. Um, what's really interesting, though, is um, not only who makes the final, but what's the first week of the finals. And I've got a feeling Melbourne victory might slip into third place. And I've got a feeling mm. Canberra might slip into fourth place. And that would give Melbourne victory a pretty winnable match against Western United, who also, Rob, are struggling mm. at the moment after losing their international players. So um, mm. it's all, for me, you know, subject to the twists and turns of what happens. Um, I think we're heading to Sydney in April for another Sydney FC Melbourne victory grand final, which I think would be something to write home about. Mm. Yeah, well, Western United beat Brisbane a couple of weeks ago, 3-0. So, you know, they, they might not be, uh, you know, as, as strong as they were, 6-0 against Newcastle the week before. So <clears throat> one one loss uh, does not make a uh, failed season. So, you know, what's this space? I, well, obviously, you have a, a little bit of a vested interest in the victory and you want to see them well do well yeah, as we watch you. Uh, plays in Sydney too, Rob. That's unfair. <laughs> hey, all I've got to say is uh, it's going to be a good weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I've returned mm -hmm. to Australian time to take it all in and looking mm -hmm. forward to um, heading out on Sunday to see Melbourne City and Canberra United in uh, what will be a old-fashioned hoot of a time. Okay, well done. Well, bring us home. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that your game of the week, Edge, the, the Perth win over City certainly makes it uh, very interesting. My hot topic is the IFAB changes to goalkeeping rules. They read, the defending goalkeeper must remain on the line facing the kicker between the posts until the ball is kicked. The goalkeeper must not behave in a way that unfairly distracts the kicker, e.g. delay the taking of the kick or touch the goalpost, crossbar or net. I'm not sure this would have made a ripple in Australia, but for our grey wiggle, Andrew Redmayne, uh, I think IFAB, in their mind's eye, have Emiliano Martinez more so mm -hmm. than uh, than Andrew Redmayne. I think if you look at the sort of specifics of the wording there, uh, particularly the EG, delay the taking of the kick or touch the goalpost, crossbar or net. Uh, yeah, I, I think the headline's been drawn here in Australia around Redmayne and that he won't be able to do this anymore, uh, but I think he'll be sweet. Mate, unless they've got a time machine, they can't take back uh, what ended up happening uh, in that penalty shootout uh, against Peru. So uh, he did his job. He's, he's uh, got his name etched in the annals of history. And, and to be fair, Martinez, uh, you know, for a, a bloke who, uh, who was um, taken to task by his own club manager after... He uh, he won the Golden Glove uh, Award at um, at the World Cup and uh, and posed in a fairly lewd kind of fashion. He did, didn't look like he was uh, he was that sorry for himself when uh, when his um, Argentine side. Uh, uh, played over the weekend and he got about six of his teammates to do exactly the same thing. So you know they don't look like they're concerned. So he look he is the kind of bloke that you've got to police a little bit more heavily. All right, boys, well done. 
Um, nice uh, way to wrap it up. We'll have uh, <clears throat> Derek will be back in the, the chair next week, boys. Um, Edge, um, you travel safely, mate, and we'll see you in a couple of days when you get. Yeah, look forward to it, Rob. Excellent. Well, well done. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm more excited for Edge's return than he is. Uh, thank you, Rob. Looking forward to uh, to seeing you all soon for a, a big ribeye steak, and we'll be back next week on Box to Box. Excellent, and Damo as well. well Thanks. Well, the pressure's on Rob to get that barbecue going, isn't it, Willem? <laughs> well, the pressure's on me to actually invite you over for a start. So, yeah, excellent. Boys. Okay. <laughs> See you, fellas. Okay, make sure you subscribe to Box to Box. Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts, tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.